Those of you that have been here on Sunday mornings here during this Advent season, we've been going through Isaiah 9 and the prophecy there about Christ to be born and the four titles that are there ascribed to Him. And so we've gone through the first two. We're going to look at the third tonight, and then we'll look at the fourth on Sunday. So I'm going to read that from Isaiah 9. You've already heard it this evening, verses 6 through 7, but just to remind us this prophecy again. Let me read it and then pray for us. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray together. Lord of hosts, you who is enthroned above even angelic armies, give you glory this evening, and we pray that you would be with us by your word, even as we have heard it read multiple times tonight, that you would apply it to our hearts and our lives, that you would give us the eyes of faith this evening. We might hear this prophecy about our Savior afresh and anew, that it might stir us to greater love for He who became flesh for us that you might receive all the glory and all the praise. And we give that to you even now. In the holy and strong name of Christ we pray. Amen. There are different things that should send off theological radars in yours and my heads when we hear them. Uh, One that I think we often do that we hear in one another that we may even hear in ourselves. And it's when someone is praying and they will begin the prayer and they will say, Father, and then they will start giving praise to the Father and start asking things from the Father. And then at some point in the prayer, they say, and thank you for dying upon the cross for us. And your theological radar just kind of goes off and goes, whoa, that's the confusion of the person's There are three persons in the Godhead. There's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God. Three persons that are equal in substance, equal in glory, but one God. And the Father did not die upon the cross. The Son died upon the cross. And you hear that go off and you correct yourself, or maybe you pull that person aside later. Reading Isaiah 9, think, For a lot of us, kind of theological radars start to go off. You hear this prophecy and you hear that he is going to be wonderful counselor, okay? Makes sense. We looked at that a couple of weeks ago. That he's going to be mighty God. Well, yes, it makes sense. The Son becoming flesh, mighty God. But now... Isaiah says this third title that he gives to the Son 
He calls him the everlasting father. And all kinds of alarms should start going off in your head. Is Isaiah doing the same thing that you and I often do, or that maybe we hear others do in prayer, where he is confusing the persons of the Godhead? And of course, the answer is no. So why would Isaiah ascribe this title to the Son? Maybe where we need to start is what we've looked at over these weeks, and those of you that have been here on Sunday mornings, you have heard this, where I've said that these titles that are given to the Son here are, are not intra-Trinitarian titles. They're not titles that they use, the persons use among themselves in referring to one another or to the other. Rather, these are titles that are speaking of the Son in relation to us. They're titles that describe His relation to us. He is to us a wonderful Counselor. He is to us a mighty God. And He is to us an everlasting Father. And to us, He is a Prince of Peace. I want to look at this idea of everlasting Father tonight and look at just both of those terms. Everlasting Father. Everlasting Father. He is everlasting. The second person of the triune God is eternal. He's everlasting. He has no beginning. As John says in the opening of his gospel, in the beginning was the Word, meaning the Son. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. He was in the beginning, and in the beginning everything was made through Him. He will say of Himself in Revelation, He will say, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is eternal. He, the psalmist says of Him that He is from everlasting to everlasting. There never was a time that the Son did not exist. He's eternal. From the very beginning, He has always, always, always proceeded from the Father. So what of what Isaiah is saying here? Then what of this birth? Well, this is the Son come down from heaven. The eternal Son who has always existed with the Father and the Spirit as one God. The Son come down from heaven that is now adorning Himself with flesh and being born into this creation that was created through Him and by Him and for Him. But the Son has always existed. He has always been. But it's not simply that He has always existed in eternity past. It is also true that He is eternal, He is everlasting, and that He exists for eternity future. That there's no end to Him. As the Hebrews writer says, He ever lives to make intercession. That is, when the Son came down and He became flesh, when He adorned Himself with flesh, He is now everlastingly, eternally the God-man. He will forever be flesh. Forever. 
writer of Hebrews says that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The angels in heaven and Revelation, we are told, sing to him glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever. There's that absolutely beautiful scene in Revelation 11 where you have that last trumpet that is sounded. And this huge angelic chorus just erupts in praise. And they sing to the Son who has eternally existed and now has been united to flesh and will eternally exist forever as the God-man. They sing this, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ and He shall reign forever and ever. This one who came down from heaven that was born in that little town of Bethlehem and laid in a manger under that star of David is one who has existed from eternity past and he will exist into eternity future. He is everlasting. But what a father! In what sense is He Father? There are many ways that we could talk about Him being Father, but there are three that I want to give you tonight. He is Father in position. He is Father in His provision. And He is Father in presence. In His position, in His provision, and in His presence. He is first Father by position. We often will say that someone is the father of something, meaning that something began with them, that it originated with them. So we will say that Sigmund Freud is the father of modern psychology, or we will say that Naismith is the father of basketball, or we will say that Papa George Hallis, that wonderful owner of the Chicago Bears, is this, the beginning of football, or we should say that at least. And so we call them the father of that thing. And when we talk about father, as we talk about everlasting father, it is that, that position of beginning. Paul says this in Romans 5, he says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. What he is doing is he's setting up for you and he's saying, look, there are two fathers. There was a first father. There was your father, Adam, who was in the garden. He positionally was your father. He represented you. You and I were in him and we were with him in the garden of Eden. And as we were in Him and with Him in the Garden of Eden, when He chose to eat from that fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, when He took a bite of that fruit, you and I, because we were in Him, He positionally represented us. And because we were in Him and with Him, when He ate of that fruit of that tree, all mankind fell with Him in that first sin. And so every single man, woman, and child is born into this world as a sinner. Because He represented us. He's our Father. Our first Father. You know that song, 
I learned it in Boy Scouts. Many of you learned it in Sunday school or at church. Uh, I think it was the precursor to the Lessons and Carols uh, event uh, where we're just constantly going up and down, up and down, and you feel like, oh, I'm going to die doing this. And uh, you remember that, that song, uh, Father Abraham? Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. And you have to keep standing up, sitting down, sitting up, sitting down. Father Abraham, many sons, and I am one of them, and so are you. I've often thought that after I became a Christian, I thought, you know, that would be a much better song, I think, if we were singing Father Adam. Makes a lot more sense. Father Adam, Father Adam had many sons. I am one of them, so are you, and we're constantly standing up, sitting down. It feels like so much work, and you feel like you're going to die singing this song. And this is what Father Adam does. He brings death. Just death. Adam brings death, but Jesus is the second Adam who represents us by His righteous life, by His righteous death upon the cross, and He becomes our second Father. That's what Paul says in Romans 5, but the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. You were in Adam. He was your Father. You are dead in Him. But you see, a second Father has been provided. And He lived a completely righteous life. And He died a completely righteous death for His. When our faith is in Jesus, He becomes our Father instead of Adam. Position. Adam, our Father in the covenant of works. Jesus, our Father in the covenant of grace. Being born makes us a child of Adam. Being reborn makes us a child of Jesus. In our first birth, we enter a world of pain and misery. In the second, we're born into a world of peace and of hope. Our first father failed us and he yielded to temptation. Our second father, Jesus, came to serve and no sin was found in him. When we're united to Adam, the result is misery and it is death. When we are united to the second Adam, it is joy and it is everlasting life. Because He is the everlasting Father. He is our everlasting Father by position. Second, He is also a Father in His provision. Any Father provides. A good Father provides. That's just part and parcel of being Father. This won't, some of you won't remember these days, so I'll have to explain it, but there used to be a thing called collect calls. So before everybody had a phone in their pocket, we had these monstrous, huge things that sat on our walls in the kitchen. And it would ring, and you would pick it up and put it to your ear, and this was the phone. Now, a collect call was this. 
if you were calling somebody that was outside your local area, that was considered long distance. And it costs more to call somebody long distance than it did to call somebody locally. So, if you were like a college student, like I remember being in college and I was away at college, if I was going to call long distance from college to my home, I would call collect. Because then I didn't have to pay for it. Because it was going to cost extra money. You call collect and the person that's receiving the call is going to be the person that pays for it. And so my family would pay for it. remember years ago, uh, when these were still a thing, reading about the number one day that collect calls were made in the United States when there were collect calls. you know what day it was? Father's Day. Makes sense. A father's supposed to provide. Uh, my grandfather used to always tell this joke. I used to just fill it in for him, the ending, every time he would tell because he told it so often. But he would say, a boy went off, to, a son went off to college, and he wrote his father a letter when he was at college. And it was a very simple letter. And he said, uh, no mun, no fun, your son. And he said his father sent him back a letter that said, so sad, too bad, your dad. <laughs> he loved that. It's funny because you know a father is to provide. There's never been a father that has provided like this. He's an everlasting father that has provided for yours and my absolute greatest need. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He washes us as white as snow. He takes all of our sin and all of the guilt of our sin upon Himself and pays the penalty. He reconciles us to our Heavenly Father. And then He ever lives to intercede for us. There is no Father, no Father who is provided like this Father. His everlasting Father. Finally, Christ not only is Father by position and by provision, but He is also like a Father. He has the presence of a true Father. He has the presence of a true Father. The best fathers are fathers that are gentle and are strong. Give me a Father that's gentle and strong. I don't want a father that's just gentle. It's not good to me. I don't want a father that's just strong. That's not good. I don't want a father that's absent of either. Give me a father that's gentle and a father that is strong. And in Christ Jesus, we have an everlasting father that is gentle and strong. He is gentle. He says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, fatherhood as it was meant to be. He says, come to me, I am gentle and lowly of heart, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He is gentle with his sheep, Isaiah says in chapter 40, that he will tend his sheep like a like a flock, like a shepherd, he will gather the lambs in his arms, he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. And how many need 
gentle Savior, gentle Father. A lot of you have been going through my mind and occupied my heart and occupied my prayers over these last couple of weeks as I've thought about, ah, we're coming to Christmas season, which is so joy-filled for so many. And yet some of you have been through complete and utter anguish over this last year. And you have lost severely. And when Christmas comes, it just brings all that flooding back, all that you lost. And the person that's not there, and the person you wish was there, and you want a gentle Savior. You want that Savior that will wrap His everlasting arms around you. You want that Savior that cares. There's some of you that have wandered so far from this good shepherd. You are lost in sin. You have been traipsing after it and chasing after it. And you wonder and you think, would he ever take me? Would this Savior ever receive me back in when I once claimed him? Ah, he's a gentle shepherd. He says of himself, he's that shepherd that goes after the one that has wandered away. He will leave the 99 to go after one. And what does he say? He says he takes it back. He carries it back in his arms and he says there is much rejoicing. He rejoices over his sheep. He rejoices over his children. He's a gentle father. He says of himself that he is, if, if anyone finds him truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it. He says, more than the 99 that never went astray. It is just delight. But that does not mean that he's a kind of sappy father. I don't want a sappy father. I don't want one who's weak and you can quickly look past. No, he is strong. He is might. He is so strong and He exercises that strength that He willingly disciplines those that are His children. He will rebuke Peter. He will call the woman at the well to repentance. He will call you and I to repentance. And it's never in anger. It's never as this kind of punishment to slay us. He is not like so many earthly fathers that fly off at the handle in punishment and anger. No, He received all the chastisement of His Father upon the cross for us. So there is no longer that for you and I if we are in Christ. No, He exercises His strength in disciplining you out of love. He exercises that strength not only in correction, but in protection. He defeats all of our enemies. There is not one that will left, be left standing. There is no enemy that can outflank Him. No enemy that can overcome Him. No enemy that can unseat Him. No enemy that can even make Him retreat backwards. None. He is a strong tower, the Scriptures say, for His people. He is a refuge, the Scriptures say, for His people. He is a mighty fortress for His people. 
The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Why shall they not prevail against the church? Because He is the King and Head of His church. And nothing can prevail against Him. He says that none can snatch those that are mine out of my hand. Why can none snatch them out of His hand? Because He has all strength and might and power. He is that one that is prophesied of in Psalm 2 that laughs at the kings of the earth. He has all strength. Everlasting Father is not that the ideal Father. One that is gentle and strong. I want Him to be gentle and strong and strong and gentle. He's gentle and makes him one that you can run to. But he's strong, so he's one that you actually want to run to. This is our everlasting Father. As Luther said, we hang under the belt of either Adam or Christ. You see, what Paul is pointing out in Romans 5 what Isaiah is then echoing in a kind of reverse way in Isaiah 9 is that you belong to one of these fathers. It is either Father Adam or it is Father Jesus, the everlasting Father. It is one or the other. We're all born into this world belonging to this Father, sons of this Father. All of us. But this everlasting Father is offered to us. Thought about that song, you know, Father Abraham, if we changed it, I'd change it this way. Father Adam, Father Adam had many sons, and many sons had Father Adam. I'm one of them, so are you. So let us all turn to the Lord. Because as you turn to the Lord, this everlasting Father becomes your Father, and He is your Father for all of eternity. And as we'll see on Sunday, the great blessing, one of the great blessings that comes out of that is everlasting, eternal peace. Everlasting Father. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are thankful that you sent your Son into this world. And, O oh Son, we are thankful that you lived for sinners such as us, that you, as the second Adam, become the everlasting Father of those who have placed their faith in you. We find that we know this everlasting peace by being united to You, our everlasting Father. And we find over these days as we celebrate Your incarnation that all of these truths are pressed home to us in new ways where we are delighting in You more and more. 
looking forward to that day where we shall gaze upon your face in glory. And we shall live everlastingly with you. We pray this in your strong name, Lord Jesus. Amen.